Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. Hello church, so good to be with you all today. Whether you're watching here in the building or online, it really is such a privilege to be together in the house and to just enjoy the service together. And what a great service we've been having so far. And even better than that, what a great uh, few weeks we've had being back where we belong. You know, being back physically here in the building, enjoying our uh, time together, having Easter in the house. Like, when last? 2019 to be exact. (laughs) So it really is good to be back together and back here in the house. And today it is my privilege to share with us uh, God's Word and to kick off our brand new sermon series. And for that honor and that privilege, I want to thank Pastor Candice and Pastor Byron in his absence today, who is in Edenvale. And I just wanted to say, yeah, thank you so much for that. And really looking forward to what God has to say for each of us today. But before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that you are with us today. We thank you for your presence. And thank you, Lord, that you fill us in so many powerful and unique ways. Please speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Help us to... Apply your word in our lives and help us, Lord Jesus, to live it out in our everyday lives. In your mighty and powerful name we pray. And we also thank you that Real Madrid made light work of Liverpool on Tuesday and light work of Barcelona on Saturday. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Some of you are like, that's heresy. God loves rugby. (laughs) So if you, um, uh, sorry, uh, Emmy and I, in our, in our home for the last few years, we've had this everything box. It's a box where we stuff everything that we can't place. Maybe you've got something similar. It may be a cupboard in your kitchen, or it may just be an entire room. And that's a whole sermon for another day. <laughs> but we've got this everything box, and in this everything box, what we have in it is like everything we can't place. It could be random slips. It could be CDs. Remember those? You know, got those. Uh, we've got random screwdrivers. You know, we've got random stuff in our everything box. But we've also got this random mass of cables in our everything box. And this, and this, whenever we need a charger of, uh, to, for our phones or whatever, like if one got lost for some reason, or if we just, I don't know, like just something happened in life, you know, we have to dig through this mess of cables to try to find a new one, which makes it clearly easier to go hunt down the old one or buy a new one altogether. Because dealing with this chaos is unnecessary work. But if we had to deal with it, it would probably be better for us in the long run. And who here knows that the same is true for our emotions. Who here knows that our emotions aren't straightforward. They aren't just linear lines of stuff that just happens to us. But they are more complex than that. They are a mass of complex and, uh, and just complicated thoughts that uh, come running through our minds. You know, it's a mass of frustration, joy, fear, anxiety, uh, pleasure, or even contentment. All of it mashed together in one go. Quick case study. Who here has ever felt happy when just told, ah, man, just be happy? Or felt less stressed when told, stop stressing about it? Exactly. (laughs) Our emotions are more complex than that. And that's why it will probably serve us better, instead of trying to deal with them uh, one at a time, to actually, or sorry, instead of trying to deal with them all at once, all together, and to try to control and manage them, it will probably be wiser for us to try 
with God's help, to try entangle, entangle them, each of them separately, and get to the root cause of what it is that is at the heart of why we feel what we feel. Because when we do that, that is when we begin to live lives better for Christ, and then we begin to untangle our emotions. And that's what our new sermon series is called, Untangling Emotions. Because when we untangle them, that is when we live better and wholesome lives. So when I was a kid, one of our favorite things to do as a family was to go to the Rand Easter show. Who here remembers the Rand Easter show? I mean, come on, it was like a hallmark of every year, you know? I'm not even sure if it's still a thing. But for those of us who don't know what the Rand Easter show is, it's basically there was a group of people who kind of asked each other all together, and they said, what should we, uh, we should have a thing that happens once a year around Easter time, and it should be a carnival. And somebody was like, no, it shouldn't be a carnival. And then another person was like, okay, then it should be a, a, an amusement park. And another person's like, no, it shouldn't be an amusement park. And then another person said, no, I know what it is. It should be a showroom and a show place for every single vendor to try to try showcase their, play, their uh, products and things. And then somebody was like, no, no, no. And then what happened is that all of them decided all at the same time, what if we combined all of those things together and then call it the Rand Easter show? And then birth comes the Rand Easter show. That is basically what it is. And Basically, once a year, uh, me, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, we would go there and we would dominate for the entire weekend and literally dominate because we didn't just go for one day like mere mortals. No, 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 no. We went for the whole two days and we were just there enjoying the Rand Easter show. And my brother and I would often find ourselves by the amusement park section and by the rides. And while we were in the queue, I always used to meet my nemesis my arch rival, none other than the evil height detector. <laughs> the evil detector of my height, that is what I forever dubbed it. Because every single year, whether I was six or eight or 10, whatever, I would get to the height detector and think to myself, I oh, hope maybe this year, maybe this year, and then find out, ah, I'm still short. And then the following year, when I was 10, like, okay, maybe this year, maybe this year. No, I'm still too short. And then the following year, ah, every single time, I was always too short for the height detector. There was always a standard that was placed on me that I could never live up to. There was always a mark placed on my life that I was never good enough to reach. How many of us here still feel the same way when it comes to our lives? that there has been a standard that's been placed on us, a mark that we just can't live up to, we just can't reach. It may have been a standard or a mark placed by you by a parent who wanted you to be a pro athlete or the next Elon Musk. But you know and they know that you fall short of that mark. It may have been a standard placed by you by a boyfriend or a girlfriend to act a certain way or dress a certain way, but you've never quite felt comfortable in doing so. So again, you end up falling short of the mark. And it may have just been an arbitrary standard placed on you by society at large or the world at large. And then what you begin to realize and see is that they want a certain kind of success for over you as a, a spouse, as a parent, or just in your industry or your varsity or your school. But the whole time, the more you evaluate your life, you realize somehow you're missing the mark. And that feeling that when we feel like there is a standard that's been placed on it, on us, but we kind of feel short 
of making that standard uh, reach and, and work in our lives, that feeling is called shame. Shame. Shame is that universal feeling of anguish when you feel like there is a standard that you fall short of, regardless of whether it's a standard that's been placed on you by uh, yourself or by God or just by other people. It's a horrible emotion to try to overlook because it, it, it comes around every so often, like every year at the Rand Easter show, that you're not quite good enough. James K.A. Smith nailed it when he described shame like this. It is a terrible and terrifying thing to know what you want to be and then realize you're the only one standing in your way. To want with every fiber of your soul to be something different, to escape the you you've created of yourself, only to fall back into the self you hate over and over again. Quite intense, but so brutally honest. And Brene Brown said this of shame. Shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. And, all be- and because of this and because of what shame can do in our lives, I thought it would be worthwhile for us to kick off our new sermon series by speaking on untangling shame. Now let me start by saying that shame, it happens to all of us. It's a human feeling. Even the best of us feel shame. And by best of us, I am including the incredible, the remarkable Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Even that guy felt shame. (laughs) Listen to what he says in, in Romans 7, verses 18 to 24. He says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anyone here relate? <laughs> but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I, do, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's word with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that lives within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? What an honest admission. (laughs) So again, shame happens to all of us. It's around us. It's, uh, It's ingrained within our culture. And that's why it's so inescapable, because it's ingrained in our culture. Because not only do we feel shame within us, but sometimes we can feel shame around us. Because again, it is around us in our culture. Let me explain what I mean. So over the last little while, I've developed this horrible habit. And if you can identify with this horrible habit, maybe we can form a solidarity group together and then we can try work this thing out together. (laughs) But uh, I've developed this habit where I read the comments on Instagram posts. Guys, it's a horror show out there. Don't do this. <laughs> if, you, if you're far from doing it, keep that way. Keep far. Because this is how it goes down. I would be scrolling on Instagram, you know, and, and see a post at random of somebody saying, who's, who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo? And then I'll be thinking to myself, like, Cristiano, of course. 
Who else could it be, you know? And then I'd read the comments of that, because I just want to see, just want to get a gauge of how many other sane people are there out there, you know? So I'd read this post, and I'd, I'd see the comments, and there's the usual, Messi is great, Messi is awesome, and CR7 for life, Ronaldo, woohoo, you know, like all of that. You know? And then I go just a little bit further down, and then that's when it just starts being dark, you know? And then all of a sudden, I begin to see uh, Messi sucks, Okay, and then Ronaldo is a loser, and so is his life. It's like, whoa, that's intense. But if you're part of the solidarity group, you know where I'm going with this next, because not only do I read these comments on Instagram posts, no, 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 because now I read the comments of the comments, and in doing that, I open Pandora's box to human misery, because when I do this, I not only see, because remember, the, the, the comment is, Ronaldo is a loser, and so is his life, and then the first comment of the comment is a clown emoji, and I think to myself, that's okay, it's a bit intense, but anyway, let's pass that on, and then the next comment of the comment is somebody saying, to the, again, a complete stranger, saying to them, you suck, and I wish your mom had aborted you. What? <laughs> How did we get there? <laughs> you know, here we are speaking about who's the best of all time, Messi or Ronaldo too. Ronaldo sucks too. A complete stranger saying to another complete stranger, you suck and I wish your mom had aborted you. Why and how? <laughs> it's our shame culture. Our culture designed around shame. A culture that sets a standard on us, on who's the best footballer or What's your view on sex or race? Or what is it that you believe that success is? That places a standard on us. And if we don't live up to that standard, not only are we, not only are we belittled and not only are we shamed for what we have done or what we believe, but we're shamed and belittled for who we are as people. Who you are as a person gets shamed. And ultimately, it's designed to demotivate you as a person. And that's what shame does. Shame is a demotivator. It is designed to demotivate you from being the kind of person that God has intended you to live. That's what Satan did to Adam and Eve. He got them to eat from the, from the tree. And once they had done that, and once they had experienced shame, they got demotivated to such an extent that they hid they hid out of shame and they were demotivated. Demotivated to do the incredible work that God had intended for them. Demotivated to live in that perfect relationship that God had set out for them uh, to live as a couple. Demotivated to live the kind of life and in a perfect relationship that God wanted to them. They were demotivated because of shame. It was a powerful demotivator for them then. And it's a powerful demotivator for us now. We all feel a sense of shame. We feel ashamed after one bad test mark, and then we feel demotivated to achieve from the entire subject. We feel demotivated from one terrible uh, argument with our spouse, and then we feel demotivated to make our marriage work. It's Romans 7 all over again. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And once again, feeling shame is human. It happens to all of us. But living in shame, well, that, that's, an, that's optional. That we don't have to do. And that is the power of God's word. And that's the good news, is that even though we may feel shame, we don't have to live in, in its grip, but we can untangle shame's grip over our lives. And the question becomes, how do we do this? And 
with that, I'd love to suggest two simple questions, two fundamental questions to help us overcome shame's grip on our lives. And while doing so, I'd just like to put a disclaimer here, you know, T's and C's, you know, you know when you're like halfway into something, into like buying a thing, and then like the T's and C's pop up there, and you're like, oh, why didn't you tell me in the beginning? It's not like it makes a difference, because it's still going to go on. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to put a disclaimer here, because some of us may have deeply rooted shame. You may have shame that has come from a, an abusive childhood, from a childhood that really just didn't set you, set you up well for the rest of your life. And if that's you, what I just wanted to say is that I still hope and I still pray that what we say today, in addition to obviously seeking more help and seeking more help from, uh, in terms of therapy or in any other measure, I honestly hope and pray that this can still be a step through the door. And this can still be a helpful first step so that for all of us together in the room we, and even watching online, you know, we can all step into and living out of freedom from the shame that can capture us in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the first question is the ownership question. The ownership question. Sticking with Romans 7, remember Paul ends his confession of shame by saying in verse, uh, in verse 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin? The original word for the word free is a word that was used for, um, to describe a soldier rescuing another soldier from a a, a wounded soldier from a battlefield. So what Paul is saying here is that he is so enriched in shame that he needs someone to come into the battlefield and to rescue him out of that shame, to rescue him out of that uh, demotivation and to get to him to such an extent that, uh, that he doesn't have to live in this way. And within that same breath, he says in verse 25, thank God, that the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord. And with this one sentence, Paul goes on to unearth a concept that he'll, uh, that he'll uh, continue throughout the rest of the book of Romans. Through this one sentence, he unearths the concept of ownership. Our Lord, he says, as in Jesus belongs to us. But more importantly, he implies that we belong to Jesus. When I was in grade seven, I made this really awesome and legit project, which is still hanging up somewhere in my room. Too good for the, nothing, for the everything box, but it's hanging up. <laughs> and this project was a torch that I made out of two ginger beer bottles, and I stuck a circuit inside of it and put a, a switch through the lid to switch it on and off. Now, I can really sense the lack of appreciation in this room because... <laughs> Everyone's got a smartphone (laughs) and it's got a torch on it. (laughs) But you must remember that this was the early 2000s. So light itself was only invented like a couple of years before. So this is a big deal, okay? (laughs) And what amazed me most about this project that I made was that teachers would come up to me and would ask my permission to parade my invention. They would ask me to set the standard for my creation. And what I learned then is what is important for us to learn now when dealing with shame. And that is the creator determines the standard. The creator determines the standard. Therefore, the ownership question is, who created you? (laughs) Because if you created you, you can set the standard for your life. And if you fall short of the standard that you created, you are more than welcome to uh, to feel ashamed if you don't reach up to it because it's justified. 
Or if you were created by your mom, your dad, your spouse, your boss, your colleague, anyone else in your life, if you were created by them, then they have the right to set the standard for your life. And if you fall short of that standard, then it's okay for you to feel ashamed because you fall short of the standard that they placed on you. But what Paul is saying is that thank God we weren't created by us, we weren't created by your mom, your dad, anyone else in your life. Because what Paul is saying... What Paul is saying is that we were created by the one whom John says that everything was created through him and nothing was created except because of him. And because of Jesus, we are created by him and we live up to his standard. And that is why Paul exclaims so loudly in the next verse, in Romans 8 verse 1, he exclaims to you and he exclaims to me and to everyone else who feels this burden of shame. He says this, so now... There is no condemnation, no shame for those who can say it all with me, belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and that leads to death. And I think that we can give God some special praise for. You see, Satan has been using sin as a demotivator since the beginning of time. But Jesus, since his death and resurrection, has been been our ultimate motivator, motivating us to live in a better standard that we can ever place on ourselves. A standard that is formed and shaped around his word, and it's shaped around a friendship and relationship with him. So that is why we never have to live ashamed, but we can live knowing that whenever we feel the shame creeping up in our lives, we can live knowing that we can just ask ourselves the ownership question, who created me? And then on the back end of that, declare Romans 8 verse 1 into your life, where you can just say out loud to God or to yourself, he who created me says there is no condemnation in me because I belong to him and he is my friend. And once again, in the words of Paul, Thank God. (laughs) So that was the first question, the ownership question. And the second question is the approach question. The approach question. This question is important because if having a a friendship with Jesus paves a way for us to to not feel shame, then the approach question becomes, how is it that we can approach Jesus? That's the approach question. How do I approach my friend Jesus? This is an important question to ask ourselves because who here knows that it's not only our sins that can cause us shame, but anything else around us in our lives can cause us shame as well. Whether that's a mistake that we commit accidentally or whether that is a, uh, a, an intentional sin that we could have planned out. But it's not always just our sins that can call us, cause us shame. Sometimes you can just make an absolute blunder at work. Just a complete mistake. And think to yourself, oh, what a miserable person I am. Can I do anything right? Shame. Sometimes you can just arrive late to a child's sports game or they play or just forget to pick them up altogether. Awkward. (laughs) And then think to yourself, oh, I'm such a terrible parent. Shame. And sometimes that can happen. So in moments like that, how is it that we can approach Jesus? And the answer is, in humble admission, humble admission, humbly admitting to Jesus where you've gone wrong and how you feel about it. Because when we approach Jesus in that way, that is when we begin to see something quite incredible. 
And we see this from the writer of Hebrews when he encourages us in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. He says, For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose in the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. So now we draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. What a beautiful image. It's amazing because what this verse is telling us is that whenever we feel shame, whenever we feel like we've just blown it, we can humbly come to Jesus, you know, and we can humbly come to him where we've blown it when it comes to our standard. And we can come to him with that feeling. And whether you write it down on a piece of paper or write it down in a journal, then you turn it into a prayer back to him. That is us coming humbly uh, with humble admission towards him. And when that happens, what we begin to see is that Jesus removes the shame that comes in that space between the gap of where we are and where our standard is. And in his place, he puts in, he puts in grace and mercy. The two things we need most when we're feeling shame. And that's the beauty of it all. And that's the beauty of us being able to come towards Jesus in that way. And so can I encourage us as we go into this week, let's not allow shame to hold its grip in our lives, but instead let's release shame's grip. Let's release it by asking ourselves the ownership question, who created me? Jesus. And then going on to ask yourself the approach question. How do I approach my friend Jesus in humble admission? In 1980, the incredible thing happened. A volcanic eruption took place in Mount St. Helens. And when that volcano eruption took place, it left everything around in complete devastation. Like it was just blackness all around. And environmentalists had very little hope that anything would ever grow out of there again. Until one day, a a park ranger walked past the the land and the mountain range. And within this barrenness and everything that was around, he began to notice something. He noticed in a distance a patch of green. And the closer he came in, he saw, a, saw green grass, wild flowers and wild ferns, all of them just growing within this randomness. <laughs> and although there was barrenness all around, there was just this patch of random green. And he wondered why that was the case. And the longer he stared and the longer he looked into this and the longer he wondered, why is this patch of green here but nowhere else? He began to notice something that caught his eye and just was, made him just so amazed he noticed that this patch of green was outlined and was in the shape of a large deer. So where a large deer had died and was buried under ash, new life began to grow underneath it. And what environmentalists noticed is that all around, the, all around this mountain range, wherever an animal had died and was buried under ash, new life began to spring up underneath that. And they began to see that new life existed and green life now existed where old life had died. And whenever we come, when it comes to our shame and our our shortcomings, we can often see our shortcomings as something that ought to be buried under the ashes of our shame. But whenever we humbly admit to Jesus, our friend, our creator, 
that He can really work all things together for our good and turn the ashes of our shame into beautiful new life that is found in Him. And we see that God knew this all along because when it came to dealing with our sin and with our shame, He knew that He couldn't just impose Himself uh, uh, from above. He knew that He had to come from below. And that is why of this event in Mount St. Helens, Philip Yancey wrote this, change came from below as it usually does rather than imposing itself from above. And again, God knew this and he knew that he wasn't gonna impose himself from above, but instead he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come here amongst us and to, be, and to live here and to be with us from here below so that he can live a perfect life, be born of a virgin and die a painful death so that when it comes to your sin and shame and my sin and shame, we don't have to live holding onto it, but we can live knowing that there is freedom found in Jesus. And that same freedom that is found in Jesus is the same freedom that is, comes when we live in a perfect relationship with Him. A relationship that starts here on earth but continues long into eternity. So if this is the first time you've ever been made aware of this amazing sacrifice that Jesus has made for you, whether you're here now in the building or you're watching online, can I encourage you that this moment is especially for you. It's a moment designed for Jesus, by Jesus, for you to respond so that you can allow him to be your Lord, your Savior, and your friend. So as a way of response, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, and in a moment of prayer for those of us who are watching online, can I encourage you to, res- uh, to respond when I ask you to raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So in the count of three, I'm gonna count, and then you are more than welcome to just slip up your hands so that I can know who I'm praying for when I pray for you in just a moment, so that you can be acknowledged and so that you can just put an, uh, an, actu- an action to the decision that's happening inside of your heart. So if that's you right now, as a way of response, let's make a response to follow Jesus. One, two, three. Thank you, I see your hand in the front. Thank you, I see your hand towards the back as well. So great. Anyone else? Best decision you can make in your life. Thank you, I see your hands in the balcony. Thank you, I see your hand in the balcony as well. So awesome. Anyone else? Thank you, I see your hand at the back, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Incredible. Incredible. Come church, let's be the church in this moment and let's pray together and stand in prayer with all of those who made this decision. So I'm gonna pray and you can repeat after me all together as a church, as a family, both here in the building and online as well. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I realize I need you in my life and I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. As much as I know how, I want to follow you from now on. I accept your gift of salvation. Amen. Amen. Come on, churches, congratulate all of those who made a decision online, in the building. What a powerful decision you have made. Congratulations. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.